Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so excited today to be joined by the wonderful Eddie Redmayne to talk all about his wonderful role in The Good Nurse. And I wanted to start by talking about the way in which you tend to approach roles first, which is very much the physical and the external elements like dialect. Um, and I was interested in in kind of when, when in your acting career you really found that that was the initial inroad that you needed to create as a foundation first to then go into the emotional landscape and layers of a character. Um, oh, what a great question. I'm always trying to refine process. It's, it's such a, acting is such an odd job. You're trying to, you have no idea how the hell you do it. It comes from, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to drama school. Not that that necessarily gives you all the tools, but I've always been conscious of that and been looking to find something tangible. And, and over the years, it was re it was really with the theory of everything, where where the part had certain specific demands, vocal, physical, that, and it was a big enough part that that and the film felt sort of, you know, sh shared between Felicity Jones and I on our shoulders, and I could so I felt like I could actually ask for time, and time in our industry is very expensive. Um, but through that, I started working with a dancer and, and, a, and a, a dialect coach. And I found that for me, starting months ahead with purely technical things, I, I describe it as being like playing the piano. It's like you start with, you know, just the notes of the right hand and the notes of the left hand and gradually start putting them together. Like, it's not how every actor works, but it's, it's how I like to work in order for those elements to feel embedded in me. So, and I have to start that far enough in advance that, that when, it, when you turn up on set with someone like Jessica Chastain, who is as extraordinary as Jessica Chastain, you're not thinking about a single thing of that. You're just looking and, and listening to this, this, this other human being and responding. But um, for me, that takes a, quite a lot of, um, yeah, stuff beforehand. And, and you're mentioning the dialect work there, which obviously, I mean, anytime you even play any American role, that's already an element before you even go into the specifics of, mm. of that character. Um, and in particular, working with Michael Buster, who's the dialect coach that you've worked with across several years on on many projects at this point. Um, I was I was interested in the in in how you approached this particular character because there was some footage available for you to watch and really study and see the intonations of of how he spoke. Mm -hmm. And and so, what did that look like in terms of the way that the two of you you would watch some of that footage and break it down and figure out what elements of that do I need to bring over into my performance and what are some of the spaces that I can color between a little bit because that's him mm. in a specific setting and you're playing him out in the world moving around with all these relationships. Well, it's really, oh God, it's a great point. And, and so Michael, dialect coaches, coaches, dialect coaches are extraordinary people and, and Michael is a, an extraordinary coach. Um, he is brilliant because he he trained under the great Tim Monarch, um, who I was lucky enough to work with many years ago. And Tim and, um, and, and Michael, you know, they just have pools of resource, of, of, of voices, of specific voices. But of course, in this case, we had the actual guy. And, 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 and what you're describing is, is really important because there's footage of him in court. Um, there's footage of him in interrogation. But those are all, in some ways, performative moments. Um, what was amazing here is we have the voice recordings from when he was from when Amy Jessica Chastain's character was was wiretapped and listening to him so you have phone call conversations so we had all of this color to work with and play with and um 
And so we investigated that. It was um, it was there were all these specific elements. Now, if there are moments when in my mouth it becomes too mannered or it becomes too much like hard work, you know, I would push and push and push for it, and then eventually I'd go, you know what? Actually, it's easier just to let that tiny detail disappear because the worst thing that can happen for an actor, and I made this mistake very early on in my career. Um, in which I was so scared of being fired that I like all I cared about was my accent. And basically all you can see at the film is me sort of terrified about doing a shoddy accent. Um, and I, and after that, I decided I'd rather be fired for doing a dodgy accent than giving a really um, sort of dodgy performance. So uh, I've now worked out a way that you do start with a technical, but you can also free yourselves of some of the intricacies. And, and with that idea of, of taking some of the elements, but also having a freedom is, is also the physicality. And you were, you know, you were talking about Alexandra Reynolds, who's a choreographer that you worked with on yeah. Theory of Everything and, and also with this role, which which is so fascinating because it may not seem at first like a role that you would work with a choreographer on in terms of the physicality, but there's so many elements to it because he's so specific with his movements. There's so much tension kind of being held mm. in his shoulders and in his neck that you have to really capture. And so how does thinking about it like a choreography and a dance help you in finding those elements, even when it is kind of a, a more stoic and still character that you're playing? Um, it, it's really a wonderful way for me to to start and access a character it, it, it um it's this guy has a very specific physicality he's described in in the book by charles graber the good nurse as looking like a question mark um and that was both about his physicality but also about something other about anonymity uh about the sort of power of of being invisible almost and um and there's something recessive about him that allowed him to kind of watch, you know, from 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 the outskirts. Uh, dance is it's interesting. I, I've worked with Alex for many years now, and I like to work on a physicality again, so that it's embedded, so that you're not playing, you're not thinking about that when you're on set. It's it's something that's been sort of it, it, it's it's in you. But also, it was so important in this film because he doesn't say much. You know, he's a Christy Wilson Cairns, our wonderful writer, really has faith in actors and and didn't overwrite Charlie. It was uh, so much had to be expressed through through stillness or or, or through the the physical. And so I knew that I, I I needed to have that in me from from the word go. And um and it's interesting that in Tobias's opening of the film. You know, he is shot on this very long lens that gently sort of pans in and and it's about getting inside this guy's head but through all the intricacies of you know that he he would self self soothe a lot charlie um he had a he was abused when he was seven he had a pretty traumatic upbringing and 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 there was all there were always little signs of of, of trying to self comfort so all those sorts of things and this unique um, hunch he had was sort of caught in those opening moments which I hope draws an audience in, in into the enigma of him. I mean and that idea of, of playing a performance and playing a character that that is very enigmatic 
is quite a fascinating exercise because it also informs the way that you're interacting with with Jessica and with the rest of the cast in having to very much create a space for them to be able to project onto him in mm. terms of mm. who he is and, and who he might be. And so what was the difference in terms of that dynamic that it created in in, in finding these choices that essentially allowed him, like you said, to, to kind of become invisible in certain ways to other people in the middle of having conversations with them? Well, he's... The way, and it wasn't just with Amy Locker, and it was over nine years with many other often female nurses. He disarmed people through his invisibility or through his self-deprecating, um, always sort of lowering his power status whilst interestingly being incredibly narcissistic and arrogant at the same time. But like he, uh, and so it was a technique really. He had this amazing empathy but then he would weaponize the empathy. And that was uh, by, by placing himself in that self-deprecating um, sort of backward place, it would invite people towards him um, and never make it look like he was grasping. No, absolutely. And, and even just that idea that he's, he's very self-deprecating with his humor, there's also it also feels like that's a space for truth and to be able to say yeah. things where people aren't taking it as truth because they're taking it as disarming humor and something yeah. that's engaging and so when you were reading through the script did you find that there were there were elements and there were places where that humor was coming forth but actually it helped you in understanding the character because those are probably some of the moments where he's being even more truthful than the rest of the dialogue yeah and that was something that we worked on christy and i would like for example the sort of this horribly true thing about him um, killing a dog, um, which, you know, it finds its way into the script going, you know, she, his, his ex-wife, who he, and he would also often use, as you say, self-deprecating humor, like my life's a fucking mess, my home life's a mess. And, and, and Amy would laugh, they would laugh so much about it. And, you know, it, but, it, but it starts with him saying, you know, she, 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 she said I was mean to, mean to the dog or something, you know, and then later it's, you know, she, and, and now she's claiming that I'm poisoning the dog. And, you know, the shift between mean to to poison to, you know, with beautiful things that, that, that um, she wove in. But, but you're right, he is exposing himself. And one of the things about um, Charlie that he said after he was caught was he wanted to been caught for years you know he was desperate to be caught he he was hiding in in plain sight as it were um and when I, I mean there are many things that charlie said that you don't sort of you wouldn't trust uh but but i i do find that interesting that he was sort of open about it and and certainly those scene the scene when he's fired you know, for me that scene is is a man going to 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 the institution you know i did this I know you know I did this. I'm giving you every opportunity to stop me. Are you going to stop me? Go on, go on, do it, do it. And, and, they, and they don't, you know. So it gives him extraordinary power. It fuels him. There, there was a conversation that between you and Jessica where you were, you were kind of both discussing the project and asking each other questions. And there was a moment where you asked her what the turning point was for her in, in Amy starting to have an inkling of what he was doing. Mm. And, and through that kind of intern, I was interested for you in, in was there a particular point where you go, Oh, he, mm. oh, she knows. Like I, yeah. I suspect that she knows. And maybe if I play things the right way, it won't all come to the surface. There's still a salvageable element of this. That's uh, really interesting. And that, that shifted. I originally, when I first read the script, I thought it was going to be quite 
up early. Like I thought it was going to be, but actually the more I realized it's because I was reading the script through a, through a way it's viewed rather than through the character's place. And the character is so, he was such a narcissist that he's so in that world and in his relationship with Amy that actually, although the film and Tobias, our brilliant director, I think gets to set there are all these moments of like, does he know, does he know, does he know? Actually, I ended up playing those all as just not knowing. And there, there would be moments of pause or reflection and, and they, they could be filled um, for an audience. But actually it was only the moment when she goes in the diner, you know, I would, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I'd, I think she says, I still, I'd, I'd still like you or I'd, I'd st I wouldn't care if you did it. And then, then he knows she's lying. Then, and then, then he's like, that's the moment that he's, he knows she's such a good human being that that, that is a, you know, fully fledged lie and that he can't cope with. And, and with his background in, in real life, one of the things was that he ended up, you know, he applied to be in the Navy and he passed all of the psychological exams. Tests, yeah. Um, you know, and that just tells you how good he was at suppressing everything and not showing the other side of him. Um, well, this and, other side was a different yeah. person. Sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> no, 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 you're absolutely right. But but like, was there was there kind of like a, a light bulb moment when you read a detail like that in in how to play him because the way that you've played him you're not trying to lean into the element of oh and then at nighttime I'm going to put something in the insulin bag like you're very much playing the loving caring empathetic friend who yeah. also becomes you know a, a de facto figure in her kids' lives and is a parental figure mm. to them as well almost yeah I uh, the, the navy was a riveting moment in his life so he passed all these tests got into the navy and then was bullied mercilessly in, he worked in submarines and, and the bullying, he was called a psycho fag. He was um, beaten with um, wrapped up thingies, um, sort of like dishcloths wet. And, and now that was interesting to me, that, that, that period of bullying, because it was another moment of trauma of this, this bullied child, um, which I hope you sort of see a bit in the interrogation scene when he gets shouted at, you kind of suddenly see this kid again. But he then, the extraordinary thing in the Navy was he was only fired from the Navy when he was found standing over the Poseidon missile button in a submarine. That was when he was fired. You know, the fact that the guy could be fired for that in the Navy and still ever be allowed near vulnerable people was kind of um, astonishing. Um, so you I, you try and take on all those moments of of mini trauma and, and and then suppress them. Jess Chastain says something so wonderful about it, about acting as basically being hiding rather than showing. That's what a lot of this this work was. And he's he's also so full of microaggressions as well. You know, there's obviously the the fact that he is he's literally taking patients' lives, but there's also lots of microaggressions of control and manipulation, and you know. Mm. I remember you talking about one of the details in the book that was he would see that no one else was making the coffee in the break room at the hospital. And yeah. so he would make it, but then kind of stand back and silently judge everyone as they were taking it and drinking it and not thinking about his coffee gone into it. Exactly. And he was the person that had made that. And there they all were drinking his coffee and not a single moment of thanks. Yeah, it was. I mean, the narcissism in him, overwhelming. And, and one of my one of my favorite moments that we discovered in the, in the film is when he comes back to her house 
and he's with the children. Sorry, she comes back to her house and he's with the children. And she's her she's terrified and trying to get him out of the house. And um she she's sort of talking about how amazing he's been, you know, and, and you know, you've done all this for me and all of this. And rather than any part of him being like, no, 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 I haven't. He's like, Yeah, yeah, I have. I'm that guy. And you know, you sort of see these moments of astonishing uh, you know narcissism that I think is a revelation to that sort of pathology almost I mean how did how did you first approach like really getting your head inside of someone with such a juxtaposition that he is literally saving people's lives and at the same time taking people's lives and doing and both of those things are are fully true about him because I spent time with the real Amy Loughran Mm -hmm. and Amy is the character Jessica plays and she described at length about this amazing man who was kind, gentle, self-deprecating, sort of funny. Um, and then she met this other human being twice who was empty and um, arrogant and truculent. And this thing happened to his eye that she said it was a disassociative thing. It was two different human beings. And that was so important because it meant that I could really invest fully in the friendship. And it was up to Tobias, our director, to find the moments around it. Um, do you see what I mean? If he wanted if he wanted the audience to think something or he wanted to catch some space in the air, but Actually, it was only when he stops trusting her that, that this other person reveals itself. And a- Amy said she only ever saw him twice. Once was when she was wired and the other was in the interrogation room. And when you were trying to, to determine how you wanted to play those moments, you know, even just the first scene in the diner, I feel like I remember just like watching your hands at that moment because you kind of, you mm. can see the tension being held there in mm. him as, a, as he's starting to process, oh, you know, it has hit the fan, you know, it's happened. This thing yeah. that I've been wanting and not wanting at the same time has finally happened. Um, and so how did you find the the level at which you wanted to come on at that emotionally? Because that's also everything that he's been doing, but he's also sitting across from someone that he has genuinely cared about and connected with. Mm. The key to that scene, weirdly, was straws. <laughs> it was the straws in the the, the water glasses um, and it was the little piece of paper that you take off the top of a straw. And it gave me somewhere to, you know, because he had this self-soothing thing, which you can see in lots of the footage of Charlie, that he would, you know, touch fabric or look for harmony. It gave me something to, to find comfort in. It also allowed me to not look at Jess or to find moments to look at Jess. Um, Tobias had already put in various things into that scene, like, for example, very big menus that came and kind of blocked the the created these kind of you know these blockades between each other and the audience and um and then this waitress coming in and serving food so there were always sort of interruptions in some ways um but the biggest thing for me was then this moment when he realizes she knows and and this thing that's been so intricately described in Charles Graves' brilliant book and in 
Christie's script about one eye and Amy describes it, one eye drifts off. So I'd spent a few sort of weeks before selling work going, can I make one eye drift off? Into, into, unfortunately, I can't. But, but what it was about that was owning the space and owning the silence and finding the power in just totally disrupting a moment. And And that was, that whole scene was so invigorating to work on because Jessica is just staggering and and we were just playing with each other and pushing and and probing and um, no it was it was it was a, a very intense but magical you know days filming there's there's also a really interesting moment in your performance when he's being interrogated and it's the fact that you know going back to what you were saying earlier about being bullied when he was when he was younger and and some of the the facets that come you know there's an anger in him and also at the same time there there's tears coming out of his eyes kind of very quietly yeah. and very subtly um yeah. and and so again it was just like interested in when you were reading that scene you know going from reading that scene to playing it just yeah. finding that that dichotomy of it's not even just one emotional plane that you're you're finding and playing to because there's so many things at hand for him in that instance yeah i mean that that scene was interesting because we've got footage of that scene so um you know you have uh, christy had taken a lot of the the real words from it but there was also a moment that happened after this film, which is when he was in court. Um, it, the judge was there and was handing out his, um, or a predicament of some description. I can't remember exactly what it was, but also a lot of the families of the victims are there. And Charlie just started screaming, like viscerally screaming at the judge about his ineptitude. And it was this mantra. He just kept saying it again and again and again so violently that he ended up being bound and gagged in court and that idea of this monster this other this this fury of 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 the um that that was a greek somehow and, and tobias our director talked about um francis bacon's paintings like you know and uh, and how one found that that and and it was always written in in Christie's script as these I can't these escalating I can'ts. But for me, what that scene was about was when he's been damaged and or when he's been caught, sorry, and he's got no power, still trying to retain power. And you, he uses that I've, that Tobias had me chained to the desk, and that was a discovery in the scene. But as brilliant Noah Emmerich was trying to kind of take charge, I was just trying to sort of mess with his rhythm by using these i can't and the and the, the bangs to kind of throw him off his stride but it was a, a, again a riveting day's filming that yeah no it's i mean that that moment's one of my favorite moments in the film to to watch and and then you know you have that moment where jessica comes into the scene and is sitting in the room with him and trying to convince mm. him to give all of the details and all of the information over to them and there's a real tenderness to the way that she approaches him in order to try and get him to open up you know and again it's it's sitting across from someone that he does also care about and also trying mm. to preserve himself and so where did you where did you find his alliance kind of like to her and to himself wavering back and forth in those moments well that that scene again that moment when she puts the cardigan on him is what happened you know we'd spoke to the real amy so much about this this moment and this story for me is we live in a world with so much violence and violence tends to be combated by violence. 
and and what I thought was astonishing is that the way this violence was ended was by Amy reminding him of his humanity, you know, and 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 her compassion. And when we shot that scene, you know, I'd spent a lot of time with Jess, and then we suddenly had a day or three when we didn't see each other, and I didn't purposely sort of kept a bit away from her that day, and. Was, and I, so I hadn't seen her. She sort of came in after I'd been thrown through the ringer by uh, Noah and Namdi. Um, and and she, it was just about this focus between human beings. And, and, um, and it was about trying to find humanity in that moment, I think. It, it is such a stunning performance in the film and I, I really love everything that you've managed to find and, and portray within all the subtleties of this character. So so thank you so much for talking about it. So appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's such a treat to see you.